second grade and below. There goes Miss Calhoun. You can meet her right back there at that back door. Well, how about we, I know everybody in here wanted to sing that with you. So while they're traveling, how about we, we pick it up? Can you start us, this Then Sings My Soul or something like that? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. you to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, and while you're getting there, uh, we've got a little video we want to show for you. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. Thus, the anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. Someone once said that uh, the death of one is a tragedy. The death of a million is a statistic. And when you have that many who have died in this fashion, and it has become so commonplace that I fear that many Christians have become anesthetized to the horror of it. I think the church, in order to contend for life in our present culture, should acknowledge the fact that it is an issue. We have to acknowledge it and shed light. I had been going to church for 17 years, very involved, um, and never heard the word about abortion or anything to do with abortion. It was like that was something that you just didn't talk about. When I look across the evangelical church on a whole when it comes to the issue of abortion, I think on a whole we are shamefully silent and appallingly and I say that humbly because that's that's what I was just a few years ago. That's exactly what I mean for the majority of my life as a Christian, even the majority of my ministry as a pastor, I I just looked at abortion as, as this issue that is political and therefore I don't need to deal with it. The church's role in the world uh, as agents of redemption and as agents of a God of justice would be to stand for justice for those particularly who cannot stand for themselves. In the Bible, justice is linked to advocacy uh, on behalf of those who do not have power. And when you stop and think about it, I don't know that there is a bigger justice issue facing us today than the rights of the unborn. And so the, the holiness of life, the, the rareness of life, the protection of life is inherently a justice issue because only God uh, can give and take life uh, and because God himself in his word has told us uh, he's bound up life with justice. We are compelled and convicted by scripture, by the spirit of God through scripture to speak in defense of those that can't speak for themselves. If the conscience of the community is awakened, um, if the compassion of the community is awakened, then it holds great promise for changing the minds of the country, changing the hearts of the country. This is a God issue with implications, the gospel has implications that compel you to act on this issue. What the gospel should do around the topic of abortion is not create this you people and us, you guys that have had abortions and the we that, that haven't had abortions, but rather 
kind of the default posture of we have sinned also and yet look at our Savior. Every time that you tackle a social issue, you can show it's a gospel issue and this one surely. So you've got abortionists who are killing people. You've got moms complicit. You've got babies who are dying. You've got dads who are forsaking their responsibilities. you get an industry of, of sin and you've got Jesus dying on the cross for all of it. What if instead the church had a reputation as it did in the first century for pulling people's babies off the trash heap? What if instead the church had a reputation that, that if you got yourself into trouble, you knew that a church would take that child and not only would the church take that child, but the church would take care of you. Get people radically, radically devoted to Jesus and radically devoted to his word and radically devoted to a lifestyle that's willing to pay certain prices. And then that kind of swelling unity among evangelicals, there is untold effect. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is not a government, political, or social uh, day or issue. It is, as David Platt said, a God issue. Uh, as John Piper said a little later in a similar video, it is a spiritual issue. Uh, this Sunday began really about the time that Roe versus Wade was uh, going through Supreme Court as, as it was uh, uh, passed through uh, the, that Supreme Court. Uh, presidents and, and uh, other leaders began pushing forward this, this idea that the church needed to rise up and talk about the sanctity of human life. There have been spiritual leaders through the years that have spoke about this, and I want to read for you an excerpt, uh, quote by Mother Teresa. Uh, she, in 1994, was a special speaker at the White House prayer breakfast. If you think about who was president in 1994... Uh, Bill Clinton, his wife, were in attendance at that special uh, prayer breakfast at the White House. Hear what she had to say. Yeah, God bless you. She said, I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? How do we persuade a woman not to have an abortion. As always, we must persuade her with love. We remind ourselves that love means to be willing to give until it hurts. Jesus gave even his life to love us. So the mother who is thinking of abortion should be helped to love. That is, to give until it hurts her plans or her free time to respect the life of her child. The father of that child, whoever he is, must also give until it hurts. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child to solve her problems. And by abortion, the father is told that he does not have to take any responsibility at all for the child that he has brought into the world. That father is likely to put other women into the same trouble. So abortion just leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any violence necessary to get what you want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. 
Many people are very, very concerned with the children of India, with the children of Africa, where quite a few die from hunger and so on. Many people are also concerned about all the violence in this country of the United States. These concerns are very good, but often these same people are not concerned with the millions who are being killed by the deliberate decision of their own mothers. And this is what is the greatest destroyer of peace today, abortion, which brings people to such blindness. And for this I appeal in India, and I appeal everywhere, let us bring the child back. The child is God's gift to the family. Each child is created in a special image and likeness of God for greater things to love and to be loved. Great words by a great woman who has passed on into the glory, I believe. We need to recognize just how special every human being is in the eyes of God. We need to have that same mindset ourselves of how special every human being is. I was listening to a sermon recently that reminded me of this truth. It wasn't on this subject at all, but one of the points of the sermon was every human being matters to God. Say that. Every human being matters to God. Every single one. Why is that? I believe part of the reason is found in a scripture that Mother Teresa alludes to in, in that quote I just read. And we're going to read this morning. I asked you to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Can we pause a moment for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for your presence in this place. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to each and every one of us this morning through your presence, through your word. Lord, let us not leave this place the same way that we walked in. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so from this scripture, I want to give you this morning five principles to show why every human matters to God from this scripture. I, I believe there's five principles in this scripture. There's probably more principles than that in all of scripture, uh, and even in our own logic we could make arguments for. But just from this scripture, looking at it, first one is this. It's the, the first thing that he said uh, that God says, and the first thing that Mother Ther or the, one of the things that Mother Teresa said. God creates us in His image. Why does every human being matter to God? Because God created every human being in His image. Meaning that our likeness is that of God. So if we saw God, does that mean that the physical appearance of Him would be similar to us? Now, for years, pastors and theologians have contended that God 
uh, is not referring here to a physical image, but a spiritual image. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think there's got to be some sort of physical similarity between God and us. That word, image, and likeness can actually be translated to mean shadow. And so when he says, let's create them, he wasn't just talking about spiritual. He was talking about the physical creation as well. They are a shadow of God. Well, what do we know about God's physicality? Not much. We know he has a face because he told Moses, no man can look on my face and live. We know that he has a back of the head. Because it says that God protected Moses, and when he passed by, he let Moses see the back of his head. That's what we really know. We know that God has hands. Uh, we, know, we know that uh, he holds the span of the universe, uh, or the universe in the span of his hand. Uh, so we don't know a lot about it, and, and that's just something, one of those things that we perhaps will not understand until we uh, come into glory, come into heaven. But there is some sort of similar physicality between us and God. We were created in His shadow, and the only part of God's creation created in this way, in His image, in His likeness. No other, no other creature, none of the fish, the apes, the donkeys, the dogs, as much as you love your puppy dogs, they were not created in the image and likeness, the shadow of God. We are the only ones who were. What else does this mean to be created in His image? Well, we are spiritual beings. Of all of creation, and I know you probably have a special spiritual connection with your dog, but uh, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, you don't. Uh, the only spiritual connection that exists is the one between humanity and the one between humanity and God. And out of all of creation, no other creature enjoys the spiritual connection that we can have with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, we enjoy a connection with God that even the angels don't get to have. That's how we are created in His image, is that we are able to have this soulful, spiritual connection with God that no other, uh, uh, no other creature can have. Humanly speaking, we relate to one another physically and spiritually. The love and compassion we feel for one another, for fellow man, is a God-given spiritual feeling that is the image and likeness of God. And that shadows the love and compassion that God feels for mankind. Regardless of what animal lovers may tell you, no pet will ever connect to you spiritually like humanity does, and no animal connects spiritually to God like humanity does. This is why out of all of creation, there is only one that will ever uh, face God face to face and face judgment, and that's us. There's only one creature in all of God's creation that has the possibility of hearing those words, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. And this makes every human being unique and special. Finally, we shadow God in our authority. And we're going to talk about this here in just a second, a little bit deeper. But out of all creation, God gave man, hum humanity, dominion over all of creation. This authority given to us by God over all of creation is a shadow of the authority that God has over all of creation. I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're authority figure types in comparison to God, but that is how we were created, just a part of how we were created in His, uh, in His image, a characteristic that makes every human unique and special. No other creature on earth was created in this way. The second principle from the scripture that shows that every human matters to God is this, God creates humanity with a special purpose. God created us to be fruitful 
and to multiply, he says in verse 28, to be fruitful and multiply. You may be saying, well, wait, everything multiplies. When you think about producing offspring, that doesn't really make us unique in creation because all of creation multiplies. Every, every part of creation uh, reproduces, even mosquitoes and cockroaches, right? They reproduce. Some might say that if we do not have children, then we are not fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. I'm not sure, and I, won't, I really don't believe that's what God means here, uh, though having children and passing on a spiritual legacy to them is, a, is certainly a way to be fruitful and multiply. But if you look at, for instance, the life of Paul in the New Testament, you study his life, he was never married. He, he never produced physical offspring from the fruit of his loins, if you will. It, it, he never had children. What Jesus taught us was that being fruitful and multiplying was really defined by abiding in him. Being fruitful was a gift of spiritual production within us. What sets us apart from the rest of creation is our ability to reproduce spiritually, to reproduce followers of God. Through the work of God in us, we can repro reproduce other followers of God. Only humanity can do this, this reproduction spiritually. We are physical beings. We relate physically, but we also relate spiritually. We produce physically, but we also are to produce spiritually. What if what God wanted for Adam and Eve was for them to produce spiritually in their children those who would listen and relate to God as they did? I think it goes without saying that our New Testament commission to go and make disciples relates to Old Testament as well. God has always wanted to use His people to reproduce more followers and worshipers of His name and of His glory. The third principle from this scripture that shows every human matters to God is this. Verse 28, God creates us with a special authority. There is both purpose and, as I already alluded to, God's image in this principle. So these do overlap. We have God's purpose and in God's image in us in that we have been given this special authority over all of creation. Dominion. Here is why this is listed separately. Because he created us to be the top of the creative order. Out of all of creation, man was commissioned to name creation. Man was commissioned to manage. And man was given dominion. Unfortunately, this title doesn't carry much weight with creation. If a lion is going to eat you, it's not like you can say, Hey, hang on, Mr. Lion, I have dominion over you, right? That's not going to work in nature. And so when we say dominion, the rest of creation does not necessarily uh, 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 recognize this. Despite the sci-fi movies and children's animated fun shows, no animal can talk to humanity and unless they are empowered by God, uh, thinking about Balak's uh, donkey. And, and so this title of dominion goes deeper than just being in charge. It goes deeper than just being the boss of creation. The actual Hebrew word can be translated to mean rule or to have authority or to manage. It carries with it a certain amount of God-given power. But as the saying goes from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, right? 
Okay, I'll quote a better source for you. Jesus said, Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be what? Required. God gave us the entirety of creation to rule and have authority. And I believe as the human, uh, uh, as the, those who have domain over all of creation, we have a responsibility to not only rule, but to care for creation. Listen, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not a tree hugger, but I do believe that there is a call for conservation. I believe there's a line of cruelty that man can cross. I believe there's a line of waste that man crosses. I believe there's a line of destruction that man crosses. But the only one who holds man accountable for this is God and fellow man. We have dominion, and dominion does not mean to simply dominate, but to steward and protect. Think about your own family. You have been given dominion over your children. What does that mean? To dominate them? If nothing else, it means to protect them, to nurture them, to take care of them, to grow them up. And that's the same kind of authority, that special authority that God has given all of mankind. God cares for all of creation. Therefore, so should we. And this is something that makes humanity special and unique. The fourth principle from the scripture that shows every human matters to God is this, God creates and provides. He doesn't just create and say, there you go, I'll see you guys in a few millennia, right? I love this, this passage. Uh, specifically, God wastes no time in telling Adam and Eve, here's some food, okay? <laughs> I've created all of this. You're welcome to eat anything of the garden, herbs, fruits, and, I believe, animals. Uh, there, there's, I've heard sometimes through messages and people's opinions, they, they believe that God created man to be vegetarians, but it was at the fall and at that time of sin that you know, God said, well, I guess you can eat the animals, and he started allowing them to kill the animals. I don't, I don't believe this. If you really look at verse 30, I think it really alludes to God providing all of animal for mankind to eat. He says, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And what are herbs for if they are not for seasoning meat, right? Come on. So I'm not a the big believer that God created us to be vegetarians. He provided food for man to eat. Vegetables, fruits, and yes, even meat. But I'm digressing from my point. This is not about what we're allowed to eat, but that God provides for mankind to have anything he wants to eat in this garden. It's a way to show how important humanity is to God and that provision is still happening even today in 2018. I believe every meal that I enjoy, every morsel of food that crosses these lips and on down the throat and into my stomach is a gift of provision from God. And you do too if you pray before you eat. Because see, saying grace, it's not about grace. <laughs> saying grace is not some superstitious act that we do so that uh, we ward off the evils of, of stomach troubles, right, or indigestion. Saying grace is a recognition that this meal is given as a part of God's grace on humanity, God's grace of provision to humanity. 
God, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said that. Even Jesus recognized God's hand of provision. The other creatures are given this provision too. They just don't recognize it necessarily from the hand of God. Jesus reminded us of this. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He goes on to say, do not worry about what you will eat. Now this is not to say that we should not work or do our due diligence in laboring as God has given us the ability on this planet, but it is in understanding that every provision we receive, even when it's a provision of being able to work for a living, is ultimately a gift of God. And remember the words of Jesus, are you not more valuable than birds? You are. You are more valuable than every single bird, every single animal. Humanity is more valuable to God than every other creature of creation. Finally, we can know from this scripture that every human matters to God because God creates us and is pleased. Look at verse 31 one more time. He says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Very good. Good. That, that, that's such a common thought I have from time to time. You know, when I'm really discouraged in a day, I, I tend to think about Genesis 1, 31. God looked on creation and saw all that he had created, and he said, it is very good. God loves all of creation, and he says at the end of each day, it is good. But you and I, we are the apple of his eye, and when he finally places all of his creation together... The entire universe, the cosmos, the sun, the, and all the other stars and the planets of the solar system, the earth itself, the creatures on the earth, mountains as tall as Mount Everest, and he finally puts man in the middle of it. Then he says, now it is very good. It is very good. And there's a couple of things I want to point out about God saying, very good. The first one is this, Adam and Eve and really all of creation, they had not done a thing. And yet God says it is very good. Which tells me that God delights in His creation and is glorified in His creation. The Apostle Paul knew this when he attested in Romans 1 that creation reveals God to mankind. Mankind looks at all of creation and should come to a conclusion there must be a God. Only when man chooses to rebel against this inner knowledge and revelation do they try and come up with some cockamamie theories about how God or how this earth was created or how we evolved from other species. But back to this thought, Adam and Eve had not done a thing. We do not earn God's delight. We do not earn God's love. We don't earn God's title of very good. As one pastor states, the creation of God is an expression of His glory. And therefore, He delights in it, and that's why He says it is very good. Without doing a thing, Adam and Eve and all of creation were an expression of God's glory. And therefore, without doing a thing, all of creation was a concert of praise to the Creator. We experience this through our own children, don't we? And Kathleen and I had the honor and privilege of visiting new parents 
Friday night and holding such a sweet little baby, a little baby, uh, Jesse Payne. And, and, and as we held that little baby, I mean, that baby had done absolutely nothing. Absolutely. It was just laying there. And yet that baby received all kinds of praise, all kinds of sweet comments. It received so much praise and adoration. And this was a reflection not only to that baby, but also on who? Mom and dad. When people speak well of our kids, isn't it like a concert of praise for us parents? And even our grandparents? I mean, when your grandkids receive good accolades, don't you say, yep, that's my grandkids. That's absolutely right. God doesn't wait for mankind to say, God, this is some great creation you've given us. But God instead praises his own creation. And he can do that because he is God. He glories in his own handiwork. And in turn, creation gives glory back to God. Mother Teresa, in that stirring speech at the prairie breakfast, continued, And these reasons for which we live, when we live in them, bring God praise. Every creature on earth was created with this one purpose in mind, ultimately to bring God praise, to give all glory to Him. I love this little insert that we put in your bulletin, especially that scripture. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And we do that just by our existence. Not because of us, but because of the God who created us. And it is very good because of God. The second thought about that is this. God, even though he said it is very good, God knew they would sin. God knew it. I'm a big believer in the doctrine of God's omniscience. Now, now some question this aspect of his attributes, but I am completely comfortable saying God knows all things and is never surprised by anything. Just like Jesus knew that the disciple, Peter, would deny him three times, God knew that Adam and Eve would rebel and choose the forbidden fruit and eat it. And even with this knowledge, God went forward with creation, and he looked upon all of it, including Adam and Eve, and he said, it is very good. And knowing that they would sin, I know that God knew that all of his creation would be marred by sin and that at his appointed time he would send his son to die and provide the gift of salvation and yet he says it is very good god delighted in humanity to not only create us in his image and provide and give us a special purpose and authority but god delighted even to send his son knowing of the sin choices that adam and eve would make to die on the cross. Every human matters to God because every human can be bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is very good. God sending his son. One final excerpt from Mother Teresa. She said, but what does God say to us? He says, even if a mother could forget her child, I will not forget you. I have carved you in the palm of my hand. We are carved in the palm of God's hand. That unborn child has been carved in the hand of God from conception and is called by God to love and to be loved, not only in this life, but forever. Well, now what? What do we do? How do we respond to something like this? We, we must rely 
we must realize that the sanctity of human life, it, it's not a social issue, it is not a political issue, it's not a government-mandated issue, it is a spiritual issue. It is a deeply spiritual issue. And you may be saying, well, how? I mean, we vote. That's, that's how we respond, and that's really the only thing we can do. That, that's not it. This is a spiritual issue, and we as spiritual people must respond spiritually to a spiritual issue. How is this a spiritual issue? I want to give you a couple of thoughts. And these are just quick little thoughts. And in, and in fact, uh, I read these from someone else because I liked them so much I wanted to give them to you this morning. Okay? The first is, is this. Three quick spiritual realms, realms that the issue of sanctity of human life touches on. The first one is this. Sexual immorality. Sex outside of marriage that leads to pregnancy. Whether young teens or even adults, abortion has become a way to conceal sexual immorality. Sin, hiding more sin. Sex trafficking and its related slave trafficking is based in large part on the sexual lusts and immorality of men. Women and usually young teen girls treated as a piece of meat and objectified for the sexually immoral lusts of men. Sexual immorality is a spiritual issue that leads to many of the sanctity of human life issues. This is a spiritual issue. Here's another one. Greed. Greed is not about having money. We know this. Greed is about the love of money. The Bible tells us the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is a spiritual issue. And if we looked carefully, we would see that greed is a driving force to all kinds of sanctity of life issues. And to save you on time, let me just give you a couple. For instance, abortion. The lie is, is that it has to be allowed for the safety of the mother from problems during labor. But we know that a large part of abortion is being driven by huge organizations like Planned Parenthood, making millions and millions of dollars off of procedures through government subsidies, paying for abortions, and even in the selling of the aborted fetuses for research. Greed is driving this sanctity of life issue. Greed is a spiritual issue. How about this one? Selfishness, or maybe we should just call it self-centered lifestyles. Selfishness is a spiritual issue that puts at the center of all things what is good for me and convenient for me and not what is good for someone else. So many of these sanctity of life issues are driven by selfishness because involved in all of them is simplifying my lifestyle. Euthanasia, for instance, is selfish in the mindset of the inconvenience of keeping someone alive who has outlived, quote, unquote, their usefulness. It is inconvenient for me to keep mom alive any longer. She, she's just a vegetable anyway. That's, that's the same. That's a selfish, self-centered lifestyle. Abortion, I mean, is selfish in the mindset of the unexpectedness of this pregnancy complicates my lifestyle. And because it is a complication to my lifestyle, and it, it is so against what I had planned on in my life. By the way, most pregnancies are, aren't they? This is not what I expected. But then we say, well, you know what? I don't want this inconvenience right now. That, that's the spiritual issue of selfishness, self-centeredness behind this sanctity of life issue. 
Racism. Racism is a sanctity of life issue. Racism is selfish. It is self-centered in the mindset that it says, my race is better than your race. I am better than you because of the color of my skin or what country I'm from or what language I speak. Selfishness is a spiritual issue. And how do we deal with spiritual issues? In spiritual ways. And I call upon you, church, to add these issues to your prayer life, to spend time talking with God about all of creation, but specifically the crown of creation, humanity. Because we are special in God's sight. Therefore, humanity should be special in our sight as well. Human life is special, not because of human life, but because of the God who created us, the God who looked upon his creation and said, now that humans are there, it is very good. And the God who said, even though I know what they're going to do, and I'm going to have to send my son to die for them, I'm going to love them anyway. Every human, from conception to death, is spoken into existence, formed by God, by a God that says, you matter so much to me, I'm going to send my son to die for you. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. Lord, I thank you for listening ears. Lord, for your Holy Spirit in this place this morning. And I pray that we would each respond obediently to how you lead us. I thank you, Lord, for willing hearts. Lord, I pray you would help, help us uh, to apply this message to our lives and be doers of your word. And it is in your great name we pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen.